The following message was recorded at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo, Florida. Covenant is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, a community committed to seeing the gospel deeply rooted in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors in the Oviedo area. We welcome you to visit us on Sunday mornings in Oviedo or anytime online at cpcovito.com. Our sermon text this morning is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you as a God who is in heaven. Uh, we believe that you hear us, and we do believe that you have loved us. Um, we do ask, God, as we come into your presence for clarity, uh, we would ask that you would help us to know how to walk, how to shape our lives. And to that end, God, we pray that you would rearrange our wants, the kinds of things we desire, um, deepen, Lord, the desire we have to honor you. Uh, and God, where we're weak and where we stumble, we pray that you would make your grace very clear to us and your forgiveness through your Son um, deeply felt. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus, who lives and dwells with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. All right, some of us eat French fries with ketchup. Um, now, it's a good thing I had three sons, because when I say one of my sons, then, you know, it's not clear which one I'm throwing under the bus. Um, but for one of my sons, French fries were merely a ketchup delivery vehicle. Um, he didn't really love French fries. It was ketchup he was after, so he'd dip it in the ketchup, suck it off, take the same French fry, grab some more ketchup. Um, you know, the French fries were inconsequential in themselves. His deepest desire was for the ketchup, so I wanted you to think about that. There are lots of things that we do, um, but some of the things that we do in our lives are merely means to an end, and sometimes that end it's not so clear. It's not as clear as the french fries and the ketchup. There was a man who once told me something like this. He said, they say money isn't everything. He says, but I haven't found the alternative yet. The pursuit of money then trumped many other of his desires. Many other priorities were lost under that pursuit of money, and he was very successful at it. But here's the question, what did he do with money? What good was the money? Why was he after the money? What use was that? Money was simply the french fry. Uh, it was delivering something else to him. It was a means to some other end, and I'm not sure he knew what that end was. But it's worth thinking about, you and me, the things we do, why we do them, to what end are those things aimed because our deepest desires, the things that are most fundamental about us, they're going to color everything. Even if we can't 
identify what they are. They're going to drive what we do. I stopped piano lessons when I was in third grade. Why? Well, it's because all my friends were playing football, and it seemed like the cool thing to do was to not take piano lessons, but be into sports. And well, what was really driving that? There's something about belonging that meant more to me than the pursuit of music, a decision I now regret. But it's that deep sense of needing to belong in relationship that was driving it all, and I wasn't aware of that. I did take up piano again in eighth grade. Why? Because I woke up one morning with a sudden revelation of the importance and value of music. Uh, well, maybe, but it may have had something to do with the fact that I met a girl and she was studying piano. We have these desires, and they drive us, uh, these fundamental desires that are more powerful than the visible surface ones. And what needs to be clear, and the reason I address this, as many of you know, Jesus wants to shape those desires. Our desires have been bent. Sin has bent and redirected those desires away from where they need to be. Jesus desires to reach down into our hearts and to, to affect and impact those fundamental desires, not in a... Crawl, uh, controlling, domineering, dictatorial way, but in a way that best brings us into harmony with the way things are and with the way his God, our God, has created this world in a way that promises for you and for me the greatest contentment. And as those who are created in the image of God and placed in a world that he has made, um, you know, to have our desires straightened out and reoriented in the way that they are supposed to be, excuse me, is eminently good for us. Now, I have said as we come here to this thing that is called the Lord's Prayer, uh, it is definitely something by which other prayers should be modeled, but it itself shapes and directs us at a deeper level. It directs and shapes the very nature of our desires. And You've heard this language already this morning just a bit. We're coming here to what is called the first petition, the first request. You know, the, the Lord's Prayer, as, as we stare at it, there's this preface, our Father who art in heaven. And then there are six requests, three and three, uh, three that seem to be directed primarily towards God, three that seem to be directed primarily to our, our lives here among others and on earth. But this first petition, then, the first request, hallowed be your name, in some respects is the most obscure to us, but in other respects it is the most fundamental because it drives itself down into a place in our hearts over which we have such little control. What do we long for? What do we desire? Um, you know, what do we, what do we love? And it carves that open, and it opens that, and forces us to look into it. And sometimes what we see is not so pleasant. But the whole intention of this surgery is to replace those things that drive us with a deeply um, centered, a deeply felt, a deeply embedded desire to see God's name lifted up. The thing that we pray for here is that in all of life, but especially the lives we live, that God's holy name would be rightly esteemed or honored. You know, were I to ask any of us whether our fundamental desire in life is to see God's name honored, uh, you know, we might answer, well, yes, but is it the first and most fundamental desire? It's not always there in my heart. But the truth is, as all of us, as all of us are called 
to revere God's holy name. This Christian prayer and Christian prayer itself leans us towards reverence for God and shapes us in the best possible way. So what, as we pray then, this prayer, what are we praying? That's the question that's before us. And we're first of all praying that we would see and understand the things that we are to desire. If we are to desire God's reverence, then our prayer here is, God, let us see the honor of your name. Let us see the worthiness that you have. Again, we begin where Jesus began. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. By the way, it's right to look at this, this petition, this request, in the same... In, in conjunction with verse 10. So let's take them together. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three requests, and to each of those requests, it's appropriate to add on earth as it is in heaven. That is, we're not just simply playing your will be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven, but I think it's appropriate to attach that to all three of them, that your name, your will be done, your kingdom come, and your name be hallowed here on earth among us, as it is in heaven. We pray that these heavenly realities would be brought into our own experience. Is it possible for these things to be brought perfectly into our own experience? Of course not, but the fact that Jesus tells us to pray to this end shows us that it's not impossible either. To pray these things is to believe that substantial change can happen in our own hearts, that God believes that we can be substantially reoriented to desire that which we ought to desire. And of these first three things, the first is that we might see God act in such a way that his name would be hallowed, honored, that we would that we would in our lives and the lives of others see that his glory, his worthiness be rightly and highly held in proper esteem. Ultimately, this desire is that God would become the central desire of our lives. What does it mean to hallow a thing? Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W. What does it mean to hallow it? We sometimes talk of you know, not putting somebody on a pedestal. Well, to hallow, in a sense, means to put something on a pedestal or to acknowledge that which is on a pedestal, that it belongs there and that it's right to be there, that something is lifted up, properly seen, properly valued for what it is. Now, I have... Um, well, you know, I'm going to change the illustration. I was talking with, with Elizabeth this morning, um, and uh, I was going to talk about a bowl that is in my study that my brother helped make. And I guess I need to, because I got a picture of that up here. <laughs> uh, but I am going to sh shift it a little bit. Uh, it, you know, the, the bowl that sits in my study, the history of it is that my brother, who recently passed away, wanted to show Seth and myself how to use a lathe to make a bowl, to turn a bowl. And that bowl that sits on my desk is the fruit of that labor, the fruit of that day. Therefore, it's not just a bowl, but it is rather a tangible embodiment of my brother. And I, I, you know, I, my affection for that bowl, in a sense, elevates that bowl or acknowledges my brother's fingerprints upon it. For me to take a drill to it so that I could drill a hole in the side and hang my keys on it or something would be to deface the object Yes, but more than that, it would be to dishonor my brother. 
this table that's in front of us in, 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 a, in a very metaphoric way, we will talk about being the table of the Lord, in a sense, our Father's table, but it's literally my dad's table. It's a table my dad made. And, you know, and, and so I see that table, the history, the memory, the remembrance of my dad is there. I honor that. By honoring that, I honor him. I hallow him by the respect and honor I show to that thing. It would be an attack against him for me to take an axe to attack that table. To hallow a thing is to hold it in esteem. And what we as Christians are to see is that the name of God, the name of God, embodies all that is true about him, such that if we misuse that name, or if we take his name and trivialize it, treat it with dishonor, uh, cast it aside as being irrelevant, or in any other way lessen the name, what, what Jesus is saying, we are to honor the God whose name that represents. And that's, what, that's the reason I had the uh, first three of the Ten Commandments read this morning, because what's embodied in the third commandment is that we not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And, you know, the idea there is not simply, let's not say the name of God. I was a kid, right? And my parents were trying to teach me the Ten Commandments. And I remember one day trying to talk to my parents about something, and I, I, there was a word I wasn't allowed to say because I wanted to tell them something about God. And I wasn't allowed to say the word God because I, being a literal little kid, I was taking that all to heart. All right? But it's, you know, it sounds childish, but it's not really childish, right? Because for, for generations, the Jewish nation refused to use that which was given by God as his name. That is to trivialize that which is greater. The name represents God, and we are not to misuse, demean, defame, dishonor, or to do anything that takes away from the glory of God. Flip it around. What Jesus is saying here, hallowed be his name. May we so honor the name of God that his purposes, his honor, his glory is that which is supreme in our own hearts. God's name is the fullness of the person himself, and it is he who is to be hallowed, who is to be honored, worshipped, and lifted up. <laughs> you know, we have, we, we have to begin here seeing that in hallowing God's name, we do not add anything to him, but rather we acknowledge that he is who he says he is, and that he is worthy of all the esteem we can give him and more. He is the supreme ruler over all. You know, he is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And most of you know that's not me stringing together beautiful words. That's the, for the fourth question, the answer to the, to the, in the shorter catechism, the question being, what is God? He is fully infinite, eternal. He's unchangeable. He is perfectly, eternally, infinitely wise and powerful and holy and just and good and true. He is worthy of every honor we can give him. To pray, hallowed be your name, enables us to begin to see that God possesses in himself the honor that we are to attribute to him. Some of us, perhaps, need to be persuaded that God is, in fact, worthy of that honor. I get that. Some of us need to be persuaded that there actually is a God to whom such honor is to be given. 
I understand that. Some of us maybe, you know, once understood that, and now that vision has grown dim. Maybe you feel like it has totally been snuffed out. But pray together with me. Hallowed be your name. Pray that this name would begin to be renewed in our minds and not lost. Um, you know, we are praying that this, uh, this, this part of our lives, this place where we place our affections, this reality that we esteem would be brought into order, that once again, or maybe freshly anew, we would begin to see that God is one who is worth hallowing, and God is the one who is worth greater honor than anything else that could ever be brought before our affections. He shares that place with no one else, no other thing, because he alone is worthy. And so we pray, hallowed be your name. We're praying, God, let us see the honor of your name. But then as well, we are praying that God would enable us to act on what we understand. We're praying, God, let us value the honor of your name. The fact is that that which is worth being honored is not necessarily the thing that we, in fact, do honor. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we are asking him to reshape our basic commitments. And at this point, not just what we understand him to be, but how we respond to him in our hearts. Uh, we are praying that he would awaken us, not only to see the honor that he deserves, but to move our lives in such a direction that we instinctively give him the honor he deserves. And that's not natural for us. Sin has turned us in upon our, ourselves. I'll never be rid of the selfishness and base desires that have so corrupted my heart. But this prayer, Jesus has given us this prayer that we might be in a constant um, uh, positioning against that, that, that I might change, that you might change, that our, the affection that we are given to things now and the esteem we are given to things that don't deserve that esteem would shrink in our affection so that God would grow in our infection. If we regularly ask that God would make the honor of his name come to pass, I believe sincerely that in time and in increasing measure, he will answer that prayer and it will become part of our own existential experience. We are praying by this prayer that God would change us. It's very easy to pray something like the Lord's Prayer, whether we say the words themselves or simply use it to model something else. It's very easy to see such a prayer as that which is out there and not necessarily that which is we're asking to change our own hearts. But God, hallowed be your name. Help me to value your name for all that it is. God, change me. Move me. Move me in that direction to where I wake in the morning and that which I desire is to see you exalted and your glory um, acknowledged. It's by this prayer that we're moved to esteem and to honor and fear God in our lives. And that is an eminently good thing, right? The book of Proverbs reminds us what is the beginning of wisdom? It is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? It's the, it's the, it's the esteem, it's the honor, it's the, it's the reverence that we give to the one who is high and lifted up. To honor God's name is to flirt with the place of greatest human contentment. And yet we let other things crowd out this central desire. 
When I look around the front room of my house where my brother's bowl resides, I see not only that, but I see other artifacts of my heritage. Um, I see a small first aid box that was made by my dad when he was 12 years old. Um, there's a chessboard that my other brother made for me. There's a quilt rack made by my uncle. I mean, I did this the other day, and I realized I'm just surrounded by all these artifacts, a painting that my son Seth did, and a hat rack that was made by my son-in-law, Gama. Um, these, those are just the things, by the way, in that room that were made by the men in my life. But I look at these things, and as I sat there, my heart was moved to honor those who created them. And I want to defend them, and I want to speak well of them as I can. And yet, I recognize at the same time, I am surrounded by the grand work of a creative God daily, and somehow I lose sight of him and fail to give him the honor he deserves. I need help. And by the way, I was going to say here, I mean, it's in my notes, and I realized, oops. I was going to say, I want to give you a broken record warning. I'm going to repeat myself. And then it struck me, how many people know what a broken record sounds like? I mean, I realize I am just so old. But, you know, so for those of you, and this will be the last time in history that I will use this analogy, this metaphor, but we used to have to, like, play, you know, stream music on a plastic disc, okay? And that plastic disc would get scratched, and see, a little needle would follow this track, and that scratch would divert it, so it would play this circle, and then it would play the circle again, and play the circle again, and play the circle again, and you're in the other room, and you don't have time to go over and nudge it, so it'll skip that and go on with the rest of the song. And so, you know, you can't stop, and just so for the next 10 minutes, you're hearing the same circle played, you know, the same words, over and over and over again. And what happens? You stop listening. You stop paying attention to what those words were. And so, yes, I feel like there's a broken record coming here because this is what we do in worship. In worship, we come together to remind each other of the great works of God. God did this. God did that. God made this. God is at the root of that. And why do we do that? It's because we forget to give him the honor he needs. We pray, hallowed be your name. Yes, we're praying that God would give us value for him in our own hearts, but we need each other gathered in worship to do that. That's why we're here. That's why I am so passionate about pushing you to be here. It's not that I'm trying to guilt you in, you know, oh, it's Sunday morning. I got to go to church. Malachi. <laughs> you know, no. It's you need it. Oh, will our worship service be, you know, knock you dead exciting? Not always. And some of you say not ever. But <laughs> that's not the point. We need to be where God's works are going to be pointed out, where we're going to be reminded of his glory, his compassion, his grace, where the cross will be central, where we'll understand that in all these great works of God, he became man and gave his life for us. And that God in his power raised him up again from the dead so that we, not, we need not fear that enemy. So what we do in worship is what I did the other day in my study. My brother made that. My brother made that. My son made that. We sit in worship and say, God did that. That's what we're trying to do. To see that he is holy. To see that he is good. To see that he is generous and to see that he is worthy 
of our honor. Our hearts and minds lose their grip on the glories and the name of God. And in worship, we're brought back to that so that we can properly hallow him. David prays in Psalm 51 after his rape of Bathsheba, he is broken. And one of the things he says is, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Isn't that interesting? He's not asking for to return to some joy of his own experience, his own making. But he's saying, you are the God who saves. Give me the joy of seeing that you are the one who saves me. The ultimate cause of his sin was that he had lost his sight of the glory of God. And when God no longer fills our vision, we are, we are in danger. We need worship for this. I do find it interesting, the inquisitors, as I've been reading recently in Salem, Massachusetts, who were dealing with accused witches... One of the things they would do is challenge them to recite the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's kind of a weak way to judge someone. But one of the things that they looked for was if they could say it, did they say it right? And one of the ways in which they would judge them to have said it wrong is if hallowed sounded like hollowed. And I thought, that's a silly way to judge someone, but it's a powerful look inside my heart. Have I in some way hollowed, hollowed out, emptied the name of God? If so, I want to repent of that. I want to turn from that. But a part of that repentance is to pray this prayer, God, let me see, let me value your glory. Hallowed be your name. Help me to fear you as I ought and to seek you above all things. What's the character of someone that esteems God? <laughs> you know, I think, as I was thinking about this, you know, okay, so God is answering this prayer. He is going to give me this grand vision of his glory, and I will want to hallow him and everything, because that means suddenly I begin walking around the streets of Oviedo dressed in a white robe with some kind of sign and, 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 and uttering nothing but prayers out of my life. And I say, no. It means we begin to enjoy and revel in the world that God has given us. Jesus was a carpenter's son. We presume he made tables. We presume that he himself in all his perfection enjoyed the labor of people's hands. He ate fish his friends caught. Paul sold tents to esteem God allows us to properly enjoy trees and birds and music and a well-executed alley-oop. He is good. Yes, Elizabeth, that was a sports reference. I repent of it immediately. When God's name is hallowed among us, all things creative and beautiful become the things which testify to his glory and grace. And so we pray, God, let us see the honor of your name. And we pray, God, let us value the honor of your name. But then that's going to affect what we want to see happen in the world around us. And so thirdly, we we are praying, God, let us promote the honor of your name. That which we see as being real, that which we begin to experience in our own lives, that is what we wish to see. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's embedded in this a desire that he whose name is exalted, whose rule is universal, that his name would be esteemed by more than just those in this room, 
or by, thou, by those who now profess faith in him, that his name would be hallowed by every tribe and nation and tongue, every person, man, woman, and child. And to be honest, I kind of sort of want to see that. But there's also a part of me that at times just doesn't care, and I'm not proud of that. But that's just a reflection of how my own heart has to change. And again, my desires for this prayer is that it will continue to shape me, that the selfishness that still exists in my heart would be driven out, that we would genuinely pray that God would be honored among all. And of course, we're tempted to act on this prayer in ineffective ways. Christians look around the world or the country or the community and they We grieve the fact that God's name is not honored or in some ways is dishonored, and so we want to pass a law or ban a book or hide some other point of view. Those things tend to backfire, really. There are ways that do bear fruit in bringing the world to hallow the name of God, and so to pray this prayer is to be moved to both present and represent God well to a lost world, to present and represent. We present God in a variety of ways, This congregation is very familiar with that. We send out missionaries. We support missionaries. We hear the missionaries report to us. We we, we celebrate them as they, in various places of the world, use a variety of means to lift up the name of God and invite others to esteem him. That is important. That is important. We want to see his name hallowed in every nation around the world. Perhaps less obvious, though, is your support of this local church is a vehicle by which we seek to hallow the name of God, your financial sacrifice, your time sacrifice. By such giving, the name of God is hallowed in this place. Right now, for example, in the building next door, some of our friends are teaching some of our youngest members to hallow the name of God. You are allowing this to happen. The fact that we have a building next door into which this is being done and a gifted leader to oversee it is due to the sacrifice you all make. The gifts you give, we so trivially call tithes, are really keys to the vehicle we have to to hallow the name of God and to present him to the world. (laughs) We present God to the world other ways. We invite the world to esteem God by the way in which we ourselves esteem him. Isn't it interesting how um, Jesus himself talks about the good works that his followers do, his disciples do. He says in chapter 5, just a few um, pages, uh, a page before, in the same way he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. With what result? To what end? that they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. By the community we build, by the lives we live, we hallow God's name. And again, that's another broken record idea. Oh, I said I'd never do that again. Same sermon, last sermon. But we can't lose sight of it. The way we act, the way we live, the community we build is a vehicle by which God's name is glorified. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying that God would enable these things. But we're also asking that we would represent him well, not just present him well, but to represent him well. In a very real sense, you and I as Christians embody all that others might see and come, have a chance to come to know about God. When we claim to be a follower of Jesus, others are going to look at us 
and they're going to form a judgment of God based upon what they see. Oh, but I mess up all the time. Yes, but do you ask forgiveness for your messing up? Do you apologize? Do you, do you make good on your promises, etc.? We all need to understand that we represent God to others. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking God, enable us to so live lives in front of others that that which they come to know about God through us is good. You are, you know, as this table in front of us is God's, is, is my dad's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. You are a pot, the Bible tells us. You know, pottery, he's the potter, that image is used. If you fail to hold water, it's sure going to look badly upon the potter. If I put a Jesus bumper sticker on my car and then give the finger to some guy in traffic, I've not esteemed the name of God. I have not represented him well. I've rather dragged his name through the mud. If we bear the name of God, which we do, Christian, then we have the awesome opportunity and privilege to represent him well. And when we fail to do so, we need to own it, confess it, and go to those whom we've harmed and be quick to repent of it. And that's a part of our worship as well. You understand that? You know, I can come here this morning and I can look back upon whatever it is I have done this week that has been shameful, ways in which my great pride or my great offense has misrepresented Jesus. And I can come here and you can come here and together we can be pointed in the direction of the cross of Jesus Christ by which those things were taken away and removed as far as the east is from the west. And we can be brought once again to hallow the name of God. Through Jesus, by the compassion of God and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, people of God, you are forgiven, you are enfolded in his arms, and you are loved. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that we might present and represent Jesus well in the future that lies before us. We pray these things. God, let us... See the honor of your name, let us value it, and let us promote it as we are able. And I know, and I've alluded to this several times this morning, your desires, my desires are askew, they're bent. But I also know, and I also say, that getting this right is very important. You know, as a pastor, you know, what do we worry about? You know, we... We have a congregation of people who leave this room and, and things may happen and then suddenly you're not showing up. Why? Why are you not showing up? Well, something's happened. You know, maybe there was a temptation, a temptation to sin, a temptation to sin that, you, that got the better of you. I worry about that. I worry about it for myself. I worry about it for us all. That something would drift in front of us and we would not be able to resist the temptation and we would be taken away. Or I worry about the conflict of ideas where, you know, we're, we're, you're, you're out there, you hear things, you read things, you, you, you are persuaded of things that lead you to question truth by, you know, the, 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 and the truth that you once held on to, your grip on it is loosened. Yes, I worry about that. Those are important things. But more than anything, I think we should both be concerned about a loss of, the, of a sense of the glory and honor of the name of God. Because I think as we properly esteem he who is, 
he who was and he who always will be. That will center us in the face of temptation. It will center us in the world of ideas in a way that nothing else can. And I don't want us to worry if the concern that we have for the name of God feels tiny right now because the prayer assures us it can grow. I read a book, some of you maybe have read it, it's called Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. And the book itself is not so much relevant to this concern other than the fact that the core of the novel has to do with an aria from an opera. And as I was reading the book, I listened to that aria and I said, that's pretty, that's beautiful, I love that. Maybe I should learn to like opera. And I learned, listen to another song, and I go, hmm? And another one, and oh. And where's the fault lie? The fault lies with me. I really do believe that this magnificent music, this wonderful genre that I know nothing about, my appreciation for it can grow if somebody would come alongside of me and ease me into it and help me see some of the beauty that's there to, that right now I'm blind to. <laughs> I would come to esteem and value something that my life would be richer because of. Even greater than were one to lead us more deeply into the reverence for the name of God. By that means, our lives would be enriched, our path secured, and that's what Jesus offers to us. That whatever else we do, it would be controlled by this end and this desire that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. I guess, Father, there's little that can be said then to forgive us for the way in which we have failed to honor you, but same time, Lord, to thank you for the way you have never failed to embrace us, us. And I ask God that as we move forward in a small, perhaps, way, but nevertheless, real way, you would lead us to more deeply honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.